0: Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at corient.com.
1: That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Louise Nealon, author of the debut novel Snowflake. Louise, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Jeff.
1: Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your novel Snowflake, how would you describe the novel?
2: Uh, so I, I would describe Snowflake as a coming-of-age novel. Um, it's about a young woman called Debbie who lives on a, rural, um, a farm in rural Ireland. She's 18 and she's about to start university. She's, she's quite a like, strange uh, and strained relationship with her mother, Maeve, who is quite uh, mentally unwell and believes that she's able to dream other people's dreams. And she thinks that she's passed this ability on to Debbie. Um, and Debbie is really sceptical about that and just thinks her her mum's kind of mental, um, unironically. And she's quite close to her um, uncle, Billy, who lives in a caravan in a field at the back of her house. And uh, Billy kind of reassures her that um, university is the way out of home and the way out of her um really um dysfunctional relationship with her mother. So Billy's trying to get Debbie on on the street in narrow. So yeah, it's a it's a coming of age film. It's a coming of film book. (laughs) (laughs) It's (laughs) a coming of age book. Um all about leaving home for the first time and and trying to discover who you are um uh, on your own two feet, which which everyone goes through, I think.
1: Well, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing the novel Snowflake?
2: Yeah, um, I remember it really well, actually, um, because I, I was 18 at the time, um, and I had a really strange dream. <laughs> um, and I woke up in the middle of the night, actually. It was a nightmare. Um and it was it really unsettled me because the dream actually it was it was a really boring dream to the extent that I can't really remember what what was in it. <laughs> it was not useful for interviews like these. Um but I remember the feeling of being absolutely terrified because I didn't recognize any of the content of the dream. Um and so like I just I thought that I was going mad. Um and in many ways, Maeve, um, in the novel who is Debbie's mother, is kind of like a projection of how I saw my future self if I didn't get the help that I needed. Um, so I, I very much had to give my dream obsession to to Maeve in order to write the rest of, of the novel. <laughs> um and, and 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 yeah, I um it was something that I really struggled with because it's not really something that you can. I I remember telling my doctor, and he just like um referred me to a psycho- psychiatrist um <laughs> for a more expensive conversation, and uh, and then the psychiatrist just put me on medication, and I I went to talk therapy, um but it didn't really. It was a very much a trial and error thing with um with therapy for me. I've I've been to a lot of therapists over the year. More than I've been on dates, and I'm I'm still single. So, um, <laughs> but like, uh, it's a mixed bag. Going going to therapy and, and finding a good therapist is um, it's difficult and it's hard work. Um, finding that person that you just like connect with, and and there's a therapist in in this book as well. Um, that she she kind of has weird um professional boundaries that kind of like leak. <laughs> I I don't think she'd be. Yeah, she she would be fired definitely if she was a, um a part of any business. But um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm really interested in um in the things that are kind of like mysterious and and things we don't really know about. And um and and the book is about naivety too, and how naive you are as um as a teenager and as as a young person, and how we're all still a bit naive like nobody really properly grows up and um i I don't know an awful lot myself and um i think there's value in that so
1: sure well what was your writing journey before you wrote snowflake was this the first time you had sat down to write fiction or or what was your your journey before that
2: so i i always loved um writing stories uh so before snowflake my um my most famous uh, story was the story that I wrote in primary school. I was about eight or nine, and <laughs> we were set an exercise um, by our teacher to write um, "accident at the North Pole." So I I wrote a story about um, Rudolph becoming sick and his nose turned from um, red to brown, and so he couldn't guide the sleigh. And I, I was reading the dictionary at the time, and uh, I. I i I skipped ahead i or like i i dipped in and out but s was was the current um letter that I was focusing on, and I really wanted a a disease that you could kind of like be cured from so um the teacher called me up in in like kind of like whispered to me like do you know what? What this word is that you've written in your essay, and I was like, "Yeah, syphilis, uh, Rudolph Rudolph got syphilis," <laughs> and uh, and uh, but he was cured, from, like from syphilis, and he was able to like guide the sleigh again. Um, so like I always sort of people ask me about like profession, like writing professionally, um, but I I'm very unprofessional about writing if, if I'm honest. Uh, I did I did English in college, um, and I did a master's in creative writing um but it was that um that idea that i had when i was 18 that um kind of made me want to be a writer and to pursue the story because um if if i was able to do any other job um and do writing on the side that's what i would do um but it's just turned out that uh i got really lucky and um And I'm, I'm able to write full time at the minute. And, uh, I'm so, so grateful for that because, um, it's not, it's not a lot of things that that it's not a lot uh, of people who who get to do it. So.
1: Sure. So what was the writing process after you had this job? Did you end up writing snowflake as part of your masters? (laughs) Yeah. Or after you had this dream? Oh
2: yeah, no. Um, yeah, so I went to college and, uh, The book went through a a series of phases. I was writing short stories at the same time, and some of the characters in the book were in different short stories, and then I realized that they're actually part of the same story. Um, I I didn't write during college at all, to be honest. I'm a massive (laughs) procrastinator. Um, When you're in college, you're reading all the greats, and it's just so depressing then to uh go into a blank word document and you're so disappointed in, in what comes out. Uh so it, w- it was only after college I did um I did a module in creative writing in my final year of college. Um and that was kind of uh that encouraged me um that writing could be a thing that uh I could do. Um and and so yeah I when I did my masters, I did write Snowflake, but it was like I've tried to tell this story in, in so many different ways in, in the third person, in the first person, in the past tense, in the present tense. Um there there's been uh, so so many drafts. Um and yeah, it's 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 a book that kind of like it reads easily. You could read it in a day. Um, <laughs> but it didn't it, that didn't necessarily reflect in, in the writing process. I wish that um it came as, as easily to me, but it but it didn't. It was it was hard work. <laughs>
1: um I'm curious, are you working on another novel now?
2: I am. I am speaking of procrastination. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm I'm working on a second novel. Um and I'm having great fun with it actually. Uh I all of the I still have quite uh, I, I quite uh I'm, I'm quite hard of myself as a as a person. Um but uh, with Snowflake, I had a lot of um, emotional baggage that uh, I've kind of like let go of now and I'm not as precious about what I'm writing. Um, I read somewhere there's a quote that says, um, the writing isn't inside you, it's in front of you. Um, and that really resonates for me because uh, I, I was quite precious about um writing when I was younger and I was like no you don't understand the story I have inside me is a masterpiece and it's full of like torment and you know agony and I feel like if only I could get it right and now I know um that I can't like there's no way of getting it completely right um and it doesn't exist unless you actually write (laughs) um and so I'm having fun um messing up (laughs) um the first draft of of the of the second novel, but I'm uh, getting to know the characters as well, and um, because I I spent ten years with the characters in my last novel, so it's really like making a new set of friends, and um, yeah, it's 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 fun to be uh, with new presences if if that doesn't sound too strange.
1: <laughs> no, so so what writing advice would you offer for those who are listening who are working on their own stories and novels?
2: Yeah, so one thing I would say um is not to be too hard on yourself. Um be kind to yourself and make the writing process as comfortable as you can. So uh writing is al- often seen as this kind of like mystical exercise that only certain people can do. But that's like the biggest load of I can't, it's just not, it's not magic, it's just showing up. It's just actually writing, <laughs> uh, turning up to a, a laptop and typing as I do, or making notes in a journal. Um, I make a cup of tea, uh, light a candle, sit down with a blanket, um, and just write for, I, I write for 20 minutes um, initially. Um, and usually I write for more than that. But just knowing that I only have to do it for, or force myself to do it for 20 minutes and I really do have to force myself um, there's so many other things that even me not having a job there's so many other things that I would do in the day like clean the whole apartment and clean my shower and and uh, go out on errands and um, at, at the end of the day it's not a 9 to 5 job um, there's a lot of emotional work that goes into it um, I nap an awful lot I I find that writing napping and then writing more really helps (laughs) Um, (laughs) because there's stuff that goes on on during the nap. Like I used to think, like we have brain brain waves, and there's alpha, which is like you're super super concentrated, and then there's beta, which is only like a certain like level of stuff gets through, like things that you want to get through, like say when you're listening to podcasts, and then there's theta. Which is like a meditative um, brain state, and that's the kind of like um, it's the kind of brain state you're in when you're listening to music, or um, or like when you're meditating. Um, and writing is 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 something that happens when you're in theta, not when you're in alpha or beta. Um, if you're thinking too much, um, and if you're too overcritical or too judgmental of your writing, you're just going to completely come out, up out of that meditative state it's a kind of like it's it's really gorgeous place to be in um when you're writing and not judging your own work um so i i would say do do your best to um really um try not to be critical because that's only going to pull you out of the world try to actually go into the world and see see that see the world of, of the story that you're trying to tell in as much detail as possible. Um, and yeah, it, it works for me anyways, I, sometimes.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at That's corient.com. That's corien
1: o-r-e-n-t.com. Corient.com.
2: And then other times it's just Radio.
1: Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed?
2: Oh wow. Um I'm reading uh, Ruth Ozeki at the minute. I, I read Tale for a time being, like everyone else. Um it's it's called The Book of Form and Emptiness. Um and it's really, really gorgeous. I'm also I'm I'm big on Irish writing, obviously as an as an Irish writer. Um and I'm reading a cl- uh, not first no, second novel of uh Neve Campbell um she's a fellow uh, irish writer and she um that it's just it's gorgeous um i, I read a, a lot of um non fiction and uh poetry as well especially when i'm writing i do i don't really i i try not to read novels when i'm writing one <laughs> um which is unhelpful because i really like to read novels um <laughs> but i have I usually have a novel on on the go and um also nonfiction and poetry. So I'm reading a Belfast poet at the minute uh called Gail McConnell. Uh she's a really beautiful poet. Um it's called The Sun Is Open. Um Maggie Nelson actually has a has a quote in front of it, which is um yeah, so it's so it's a good one. Um and I'm also reading um I Maya Plisetskaya, she's um she's a Russian ballerina. Um yeah, And it's her biography. She she grew up in the Soviet era, um, and she's a really, really interesting lady. So that's me. That's
1: great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your debut novel, Snowflake?
2: Oh, so um, my name on Twitter is at Louise uh, underscore Nealon. And there's another Louise Nealon there, and I'd say she hates me because uh, she gets <laughs> tried and dropped a lot of things. He doesn't have the underscore. Um, and then on uh, Instagram, I'm at Lulu Neelan. Um And that's it. Yeah, that's me.
1: That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Louise Nealon, author of the debut novel, Snowflake. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Louise, thanks for doing this interview.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It's a pleasure.
1: Great. Thanks a lot. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Snowflake, by Louise Nealon Narrated by Louisa Harland Available from Harper Audio wherever audiobooks are sold.
3: My Uncle Billy lives in a caravan in a field at the back of my house. The first time I saw another caravan on the road, I thought that someone, another child, had kidnapped him on me. It was only then I learned caravans were meant to move. Billy's caravan never went anywhere. It was plunked on a bed of concrete blocks right beside me from the day I was born. I used to visit Billy at night when I was too afraid to go to sleep. Billy said that I was only allowed out of the house if I could see the moon from my window and if I brought him wishes from the garden. On the night of my eighth birthday the sight of a round, fat moon sent me straight down the stairs and out the back door. The wet grass on my bare feet the thorns of the hedge grabbing me pulling me back by the sleeves of my pyjamas. I knew where the wishes hung out. A coven of them grew close to the caravan on the other side of the hedge. I picked them one by one, satisfied by the soft snap of stem and sticky juice of severed end, the bump of one fluffy white head into another. I cupped my hand around them as though protecting candles from the wind careful not to knock off a single wisp of wish and lose it to the night. I twirled the syllables around my head as I collected them. Dandelion, dandelion, dandelion. Earlier that day, we had looked up the word in the big dictionary underneath Billy's bed. He explained that it came from the French term dense de lion, lion's teeth. The dandelion began a pretty thing and the petals of its skirt were pointy and yellow like a tutu. This is its daytime dress, but the flower eventually needs to go to sleep. It withers and looks tired and haggard, and just when you think its time is up... Billy held up his fist. It turns into a clock. He uncurled his fingers and produced a white candy floss dandelion from behind his back. A puffball moon. A holy communion of wishes. He let me blow the wishes away like birthday candles. A constellation of dreams. Billy marvelled at the bouquet of wishes I presented to him when he opened the caravan door. I picked as many as I could find to impress him. I knew it, he said. I just knew that the moon would come out for your birthday. We filled an empty jam jar with water and blew the cottony heads of the dandelions into it their feathers floating on the meniscus like tiny swimmers lying on their backs. I closed the lid on the jam jar and shook the wishes, celebrating them, watching them dance. We left the jar on the top of a dank stack of newspapers to stare out of the caravan's plastic window. Billy heated a saucepan of milk on the hob of his gas cooker. His kitchen looked like a toy I hoped to get for Christmas. It always surprised me when it worked in real life. He let me stir the milk until it bubbled and formed little white sheets of skin that I pulled away with the back of a spoon. He poured in the chocolate powder and I whisked the spoon around and around until my arm hurt. We tipped the steaming brown stream into a flask and brought it up to the roof to watch the stars. It took days for the dandelion seeds to fully submerge in the jar. They clung to the surface hanging from their ceiling of water until it seemed like they either gave up or got bored. Just when the world thought that they were gunners, tiny little green shoots appeared like plant mermaids growing tails underwater. Billy called me to come over and marvel at the stubborn little yokes, the wishes that refused to die. Today is my 18th birthday. I'm a bit nervous knocking on Billy's door. I don't really visit him at night anymore. The outside of the caravan is cold against my knuckles. It has a lining of rubber along the sides like a fridge door. I dig my nails into the squishiness and tear a bit away. It comes off in a smooth strip like a sliver of fat of a ham. There is a shuffle of papers and the squeeze of steps across the floor. Billy opens the door and tries his best not to seem surprised to see me. Well, he says making his way back to his armchair. Sleeping beauty, I greet him. He didn't get up for his milking this morning and I had to do it for him. Yeah, sorry about that. On my birthday and all, I say. Oh, fucking hell, he grimaces. It's a wonder St. James didn't leave you in the lava. He didn't know, ma'am forgot to tell him. We're an awful shower. What one is it anyway, Sweet Sixteen? Egotistic, 18. It's a small victory to see his face scrunch into an amused grin. I wait until he turns back to fill the kettle. The offers for college came out today, I say. He turns off the tap and looks back at me. Was that today? Yeah. I got into Trinity. I'm starting next week. He looks sad. Then he grips his hands on both sides of my shoulders and lets out a sigh.